0: Are you ready for Good Talk? And hello there, Peter Vansbridge here. Uh, the end of yet another week. The end of the week means uh, Chantal Hébert in Montreal, Bruce Anderson in Ottawa. This is Good Talk. And uh, we got a number of things to talk about today. So let's get right at it. Last night was the uh, debate night in Alberta uh, with the Alberta election now just what about 10 days away. And often, you know, there's a lot of hype around debate nights. You build it up. This is going to be, could be a turning point, etc., etc. Most of the analysis in Alberta would suggest that it was basically a draw as these things often tend to be or there was a slight edge to the uh, UCP leader, Danielle Smith, um, that if... Rachel Notley was to perform a knockout, you know, the big defining moment of a an election debate night. Uh, that didn't happen, but it's the people who decide these things. Going to get the take from uh, from Chantelle and Bruce now. I mean, the, the first take I had was looking at 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 the at the, uh, the evening, and it looked like they were having this debate in a shoebox. I mean, debate nights used to be a big deal. You know, they they would look really, you know, quite quite special the big studio lots of stuff in it this was very small studio with a lot of people crammed into it you know three questioners two moderators and just two leaders and the two leaders part of it all was interesting that they decided to just two the main two uh, Chantal take it away what did you make
1: okay uh, yes two leaders was interesting and the way I think they came to that decision is they invited leaders who had seats in the legislature so forget about this being a precedent for inviting just uh, for instance Pierre Poiliev and Justin Trudeau It it would be really hard to justify in a parliamentary system uh, that you would be able to say we just want the two front runners, although that would be interesting uh, would be interesting for a debate commission to find a way to do more than the usual five or six minutes one-on-one between each of the leaders, Uh, but that uh, I I admit it. If I were around the table of a debates commission, I would have to say it's easier said than done for all of the negotiations that take place for having leaders on. I think it's the first time in this country that two women or having a debate one-on-one for who will become premier. I'm not saying there were not, obviously there were women on debate sets, Pauline Marois, Kathleen Nguyen, uh, also in Alberta. But in this case, we know for sure that the next premier of Alberta is going to be a woman. It always pays off to go into a debate uh, being underestimated. Uh, Think of Justin Trudeau in 2015, who was it? Which conservative organizer who said if he shows up, I don't know with his pants on uh, or his shoelace, uh, uh, he's going to do fine. Well, I think the underestimated one was uh, Daniel Smith for cause of her own Many repeated gaffes, mistakes, statements. Uh, she went in there uh, under the shadow of an ethics commissioner report that found her guilty of eti- ethical breaches because she had tried to interfere in the justice process. Uh, and that's just one of the many things that have led up to the debate. It pays off if you can hold your own to walk in there where everyone expects you to once again put your foot in your mouth. I don't think that happened. I think her talk radio experience last night really paid off i found rachel notley to be solid but more nervous for the bits that i watched than i expected and also having to dance a lot more over her record as premier than one would expect from the outside. And I, I think there were moments when she looked on the defensive, when there was an expectation that she would kind of clean up uh, the shop and wipe, uh, you know, you would wipe uh, premier Smith uh, off the floor after the debate. I don't think it necessarily changed the course of the election, but if the NDP desperately needed a decisive win Last night, that did not happen.
0: Corey tonight was the name you were looking for, the uh, former Harper. Uh, I
1: was trying not to embarrass him.
0: <laughs> well, he he uh, he lives with that one on a record, which uh, uh, has a lot of pluses on the other side. You you know, he obviously is the campaign manager was for uh, Doug Ford um, in in the last uh, provincial election in Ontario, uh, but that one w- is one of those phrases that will live in infamy. Uh, from uh, 2015. Bruce, your take on last night.
2: Yeah, just a quick point first, uh, Pete, on a fake news item. I think you said Bruce Anderson is in Ottawa. I think you meant to say Bruce Anderson of Ottawa, but I'm not in (laughs) Ottawa.
0: You are quite correct. He is of Ottawa, uh, currently in Scotland. But nevertheless, was able to monitor this. Nevertheless, able to monitor the debate as, uh, you know, our worldwide communication system now is uh, frankly quite astounding. You can do almost anything. Yeah, I, I
2: was able to pay uh, pretty close attention to uh, what was going on. I agree with a lot of what Chantal said. I love the idea of a two-liter debate, and I agree that it's difficult to figure out how to do it. But boy, as a contrast with the um, the road blocking and the sense of a traffic jam that is has become almost a norm in our national level of political debates, it was quite uh, quite refreshing to see how something like that can really. Um, sharpen the focus and give people a little bit more of a sense of who these people are and what they represent. I, Chantal used the term expectations. I think that's always a, a kind of a crucial fact uh, factor here. I think what expectations do is that they it helps determine what kind of pressure each individual is going to be arriving at the debate with. And I think from my standpoint, I sense that Rachel Notley must have been coached to understand that she really needed to overperform almost become really, really uh, uh make it a success story. And that seemed to generate a level of nervousness. I, I wouldn't overstate that. I thought she was solid. I agree with Chantal. I thought that her command of the issues is very strong. Her her kind of tone and her description of what an NDP government would be as kind of stabilizing and thoughtful and reassuring. It's not really what the NDP brand tends to look like or sound like in many other jurisdictions or political contests, but I think it was right uh, for her. And she delivered that idea, I think, quite well. On the other hand, but I think that the pressure was on her to find some forward momentum that maybe the polls are, are suggesting she doesn't have right now and still needs in order to win. Uh, and so maybe that created a little bit more of anxiety uh, as she went through. I think for uh, Danielle Smith, she was probably brief to understand that if she didn't have a solidifying, a sense of kind of command and control presence in the debate that she was in danger of, of leaking oil and losing the election. Um, And she uh, came with that in mind. And I think delivered on that uh, that particular pressure, which I agree with Chantel has something to do with what she spent much of her professional life doing. And I, I do think that there's a difference between the skill involved in talking fluently uh, about issues and deciding uh, well about government. Um, and as long as uh, Daniel Smith is in a mode where she can talk fluently about issues, she's going to do relatively well in the minds of most people who don't have the immediate ability to fact check her, to stress test what she's saying, to uh, compare and contrast with things that she said before, all of which Rachel Notley uh, tried to do. A uh, last point for me is that I felt like, um, Rachel Notley was most effective when she characterized the, the, the risks for Albertans in education and health care. And uh, I still think that that might be the thing that if she's going to win the election becomes the most important uh, substantive set of issues. For Danielle Smith, I still think that she likes to uh, make the case for the UCP. Uh, essentially as as the champion of the right side of the culture war if you like and a little bit more of a champion for the oil and gas sector and so those two competing visions um, health and education culture and and oil might be uh, the kind of the dividing line that ultimately settles how this contest is going to work out
0: the landscape going into last night Uh, Pretty well had, you know, if there was an agreement upon those who were not only covering the election but uh, doing research on on voters' intentions. The landscape going in was rural Alberta uh, is very much for the UCP. Edmonton, very much for the NDP. Calgary, the main battleground. It's been that way since before the election was called, throughout the election. Did anything change last night? For those in Calgary, you've heard... Well, Chantel and Bruce talk about the main points that came up, and you see how it kind of fits in. It's been, you know, it's a virtual tie in Calgary, or at least has been in some of the uh, polling data, one side going up a little bit at times, or the other side bouncing back and going up uh, there. That could be the battleground, actually, for the next couple of days. Chantel mentioned something in her preamble there that I think is important. The debate last night was set against the background of the same day, the Ethics Commissioner, I don't know how this worked out, that they <laughs> plan that, that this came out on the same day, but it was an Ethics Commissioner's report into um, a, a conversation that the Premier had had with her, um, uh, was it the Attorney General? I think, um, uh, Yes. Uh, about a situation in Alberta that was deemed to be inappropriate. And the Ethics Commissioner agreed with that. So it was. this was not a good day for the Premier on that front. But here's what I found most interesting in that Ethics Commissioner's report. And this could apply, one assumes, to anywhere in the country. It had nothing to do with the issue at hand. It instead had this conclusion that all new members of a Legislative Assembly, in this case the Alberta one, attend mandatory training upon election about the structure of Canadian government and the roles of the three branches of government. Now, I found this quite remarkable that this is like after an election, you're kind of told what your role is is supposed to be. And I'm not sure what that says about, you know, the struggle that we've often talked about on, on this program of getting people into politics. If the ethics commissioner, at least for one, is saying, you know, they're coming in, they really don't know how the system works at all. And there should be some kind of mandatory training. What I found most interesting is where this was a report into a premier who had previous experience, and they still, the ethics commissioner, still felt that was important uh, to say. Um, What do you think about that? You know, are you as surprised, may not be the right word, but are you as interested in that? as everything else that came out yesterday? Um Chantal?
1: Well let's be um, let's not be hypocritical. We are more interested in where <laughs> the debate leads. Well, and people will sure. go to vote in Alberta on vote twenty nine. We are horse race uh Fans, even if we also are interested in the quality of the horses and what goes into feeding them. Uh, and what goes into feeding them, I found covering politics, is that uh, many, many, many politicians who are newly elected come to politics with very little understanding of the interaction between government and the courts. I don't mean those who are lawyers. And for a long time, we had a lot of lawyers in politics. Uh, and of course, they understand the dynamics. But a lot of people come into government thinking that governments can basically tell the uh, justice system what to do, that they don't understand the kind of of balancing role uh, that one has versus the other, which is really important. Many voters share that absence of understanding the dynamics. Uh, And what I find interesting is that, yes, I, I see the ethics commissioner's note, I wish I could say that every politician who seems to bypass that reality is doing it out of ignorance or innocence. But sadly, uh, there is a school of politics in this country uh, where it pays off to not tell people about that, to walk all over the lines between the rule of law and legislative duties uh, because it helps to get votes. So you go in a campaign and you are promising uh, to do something that you know full well you will not be able to do unless you circumvent a charter of rights and freedom by using the notwithstanding clause or by uh, putting in legislation that will not stand up in court. And that happens uh, in almost every government uh, in this country. So, yes, training politicians would probably help. I'm not surprised that uh, Daniel Smith was uh, uh, in part ignorant of those realities, but yes, it would also help if politicians uh, decided to 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 be more educational uh, than feeding ignorance in the way that they present legislation. You'll notice that I've steered clear of offering examples. I figure at some point you may be asking, so I'll leave Bruce to come up with examples.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay there you go bruce <laughs>
2: well look i think there is a question about uh the lack of knowledge of people entering politics about the various aspects of how government functions and what the norms are and what uh what behaviors are appropriate and not uh, but yes yeah, so there's lack of interest a in, lack of knowledge which can be attenuated by training and counseling and, and You know, whatever. But I'm more concerned about the lack of interest that some people show in those norms. And I think that, you know, if we look at the question of Danielle Smith on this and the report of the ethics commissioner there, which I thought was on the whole a little bit gentle uh, towards the premier, perhaps. I mean, she was able to kind of claim that it was a bit of a victory because uh, there had been no discovery of the specific emails that the CBC had reported existed but that was one aspect of the uh, of the ethics commissioner's report which was hardly overall an exoneration of the behavior of premier smith it was instead more of a, a a critique of her behavior but it was styled in a way that didn't sound uh, you know overly inflammatory and i'm sure i'm not sure that that had the timing had anything to do with the debate but it was certainly something that didn't add to the the problems that daniel smith had uh in in the uh, hours leading up to the debate even though one could have surmised that it could have so i think that you can solve lack of knowledge a little bit but you can't solve lack of interest and you know donald trump kind of showed what the world looks like when people get elected who both don't know what the rules governing their behavior should be but also don't really care that they believe that their job is to be the leader uh, and that they refer to the judges as their judges and the generals as their generals and the, uh, and the understanding that they want to have and want other people to believe is true is that they sit on top of government and can command with their own personal agenda uh, exactly what they want government to do. And uh, Chantal is also right that that only works when there are too many people among the citizenry. Who don't know what those norms are, or don't care enough about what they are, uh, so that there's no political consequence for those who decide to run roughshod over them.
0: Well, you know, I I, I find it interesting because I got a feeling that there was a little bit of a warning shot there from the ethics commissioner that we are that we're, we're reaching a critical point in the in, in how you just described, Bruce. The situation out there among the electorate at large, at large, the the population at large, and in, in how they regard politicians.
2: Well, I think there's too many people that are are sort of tempted by the uh, the rhetoric that they hear, or the social media content that they consume, to believe that, um, you know, if a politician who is your brand of politician says something that sounds like a simple answer that can solve a a problem that you feel is a is a priority, um, you don't want to be bothered uh, with the with the the challenges that the system kind of puts in place in order to stress test that kind of politics, that sort of a, a high rhetoric, low uh, thoughtfulness aspect of politics. And um, we do, I, I think we are in a. I don't know if we're at some sort of breaking point. I think we've been kind of on a downward glide path for a long time. And uh, so it's a a good conversation to have. We should have it more.
0: Any last thoughts on it, Chantal, before we move on?
1: I think uh, I agree. Uh, And setting aside this notion that we are going to train politicians, I mean, it's always useful to provide elected people with uh, information they might not have come across in uh, their daily work uh, before entering politics. So that's important, but uh, increasingly we are hearing proposals. uh, uh, It's not new, but there are more of those and you've seen it in the use of the notwithstanding clause and the charter of rights and freedom. uh, Proposals that would require suspending the application of the charter or that require suspending fundamental liberties to be applied and the fear is that as we go down that slope, it becomes the new normal. The Well, you know, you want to have just this week, a uh, conservative proposal by Pierre Poiliev to uh, deny bail for anyone who is accused of a second violent offense. That basically says, we're going to throw out the presumption of innocence. We are going to jail you uh, without even uh, giving you a hearing, there is a fair chance that that's not charter proof. Just because Pierre Poiliev says it's charter compliant does not make it so. But uh, too often, uh, it's, it's you know, you go for the bright, shiny policy. We're not gonna let these people out. Without mentioning one, the judges already have discretion on this, that 70% of the people in jail in Ontario are awaiting trial. So they were denied bail. Uh, and that the presumption of innocence uh, is a fundamental uh, pillar uh, of our justice system, which all begs the question, would Pierre have used the notwithstanding clause to have legislation like this and ensure that it survives a charter challenge. No answer. I think that it is incumbent on political leaders who have easy solutions to propose, to walk the walk of their talk. Sure. Tell me I'm going to suspend civil liberties, uh, and I'm going to jail you. So, but tell me, Uh, Stephen Harper, when he came to government, had promised to revisit the issue of same sex marriage and have a vote in the House of Commons to see if you if it should be reversed. Well, Mr. Harper would never answer really the question of what if the vote is yes? Where do you go from there? Because the only way you can reverse same-sex marriage is just to suspend the civil liberties, the charter rights of LGBTQ people. And his answer was, well, the judges will look at this, they will comply with the political will of the majority, That's not how the system works. He was saved by a no vote. But but in the process, over the past decade, we have fed this impression that there's an exit, a get out of jail, charter jail card uh, that can routinely be used without your rights, just those of others that you don't like uh, being taken away. Uh, And that, I find, uh, is a dangerous path.
0: And clearly one of those parts that needs to be, um, that some people need to be better educated, if you will, on, uh, on how the system works. Um, just one last point before I take a break and, and come back on a different topic. Um, Chantel earlier was using a, a number of comparisons with horses. Uh, in terms of the uh, the election, I uh, didn't mean
1: to insult horses. <laughs> we do sell horse meat in this province. That's a French thing.
0: But well, let me let me just tell you that uh, one of the first election nights where I hosted, I think it was '84, we were uh, in the uh, you know election night studio for a couple of days beforehand, rehearsing possible outcomes and how we were going to deal with certain situations. And um, because it was my first time, they were watching closely how I did all this. And at one point, uh, my boss, the big Supremo, Vince Carlin, came down onto the rehearsal uh, studio floor and said, Peter... You've got to stop referring to this as a horse race and how close it is. These aren't horses we're talking about. These are people, these are people who've put forward their 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 lives in front of the uh, of their fellow citizens to ensure uh, that the that their vision of the future works out. They're not horses, they're people. So stop calling them horses. I've never forgotten that and I'm sure he jumped through the uh, uh, the speaker, if he was listening today, when he heard all, all the comparisons that even I didn't make about uh, politicians <laughs> and horses. So uh, so there you go. Um, and no rebuttal from mm. Chantal on that. She's going to just remain silent.
1: That was a stretch.
0: <laughs> it was a stretch. Uh, but no neighing. Oops. Let's move on. Uh, we'll take a quick break, and uh, we'll be back. Talk with about a,
2: shoehorning an old story <laughs> into a conversation.
0: Good they for you. they love the old nice. stories. <laughs> they love the old story
1: so he's got it done we're okay for the next half hour
0: <laughs> yeah okay back in a moment and welcome back you're listening to uh the bridge the friday edition which of course is a good talk with chantelle Bear in montreal and bruce anderson in scotland you're listening on Sirius XM, Channel 167, Canada Talks, or on your favourite podcast platform, or you're watching us on our YouTube channel. So um, next week, when we get into next week, the uh, the talk is going to be, uh, about, you know, I assume it'll be about a lot of different things, but it will definitely be, at some uh, point, a lot of talk about the Special Rapporteurs Report, because that is to come out next week. Uh, David Johnson, the former Governor-General, Interesting point as this past week concluded was that Pierre Polyev let it be known that under no circumstances was he talking to David Johnston. He'd had the opportunity, he'd said no, he wouldn't do it. Um, So the leader of the opposition who's been highly critical of uh, the government's handling of the China affair, if that's what you want to call it, um, and has also been critical of the special rapporteur appointment. He just wants to get on with the public inquiry right thing, wrong thing, good thing, bad thing, that the leader of the opposition says, I'm not talking to the person who's uh, going to recommend this decision. Bruce, you start.
2: Well, I think on the substance of it, it was a terrible choice. I guess the question in my mind is, will he pay a political price for making such a difficult, or such a bad choice? And I say it's a terrible choice because, um, you know, there is a government and the government was challenged by the opposition party and lots of other outside stakeholders to get more serious about uh, what was happening with respect to Chinese interference and and to get to the bottom of uh, some facts that were leaking out. And, and those were all useful pressures and um, important for the government to respond to. Uh, the When our system works like that, I do think there is a measure of, responsibility for the opposition parties to contribute to the next step. Um, I understand that what he's trying to do is to create uh, enough distance from anything that the government does, that he never has to sound like he's in cahoots with them or aligned with them or agreeing with anything that they do. Um, But that's a rather, um, it's a rather childish uh, kind of approach to the function uh, of government, and it's the kind of thing that if people were paying attention to it, they might, they might judge him not terribly serious in terms of uh, the manner in which he wants to have problems that he raises dealt with by the institutions that have some responsibility to uh, to solve them. Uh, so I don't, uh, I I don't, I can't credit the decision. I can also understand that he may feel and may be advised by um, his political. Advisors that he won't pay any particular price for taking this position, and that he might pay a price with some of his voter uh, pool if he looked like he was working on a solution to this with Justin Trudeau. Uh, in in the end, it might have been a difficult choice to make, but I think he chose uh, poorly, and uh, and I hope uh, people do pay attention to that because I do think it is a bit of a mark of uh, of character. He has had a habit of late of ferociously grazing on one issue after another and not really having a lot of stick-to-itiveness. I I don't know if we're going to go back to the jail or bail uh, question that Chantal talked about, but that pattern of behavior is designed to get clicks in money, make people irate, and then move on to something else without necessarily really sticking with the path towards a solution.
0: That's often an opposition strategy, though, right? It's not just a Pierre Polyev strategy. Opposition parties will will do that to try you know, litter the ground with all kinds of issues that they can uh, stake out in certain areas. Yeah,
2: yeah, Uh, yeah. And so within reason, I don't think it's necessarily bad political strategy. I think the question I, I have is on something like this, this notion that we're, being infiltrated or spied upon or interfered with, and it's a national issue requiring a public inquiry, but you're not even going to meet with the person whose job it is to decide if a public inquiry is necessary or set the terms and parameters for it. It feels like to me that there's at least a minimum requirement for the opposition to to play a constructive role in that conversation and choosing not to um, fall short of that minimum requirement, in my opinion. Chantal. Chantal.
1: I don't believe that the uh, Le Québécois leader francois Blanchet or NDP leader Jack Meet lost political points this week by uh, having it known that they did meet with uh, Mr. Johnston and that they had reiterated in person their call for or their sense that there was need for a public inquiry. And uh, I've seen no evidence that anyone is saying that makes them complicit of the prime minister. I I think it shores up the Lux call for not only a, a public inquiry, but for parliament to have a say in the choice of whoever leads the the next step in this file. Uh, As opposed to saying, well, anybody that you suggest is unacceptable to us, including the former governor general appointed by uh, Stephen Harper. I also don't think that it hurts. uh, And I see no evidence in the polls saying that I'm not a pollster. Someone else is on this panel, but I don't see any evidence that uh, the NDP is suffering from supporting some of the government's agenda uh, in the polls. And I certainly see no evidence that the Bluck this week by voting with the liberals on gun control or voting with the liberals on an issue as sensitive as language legislation is losing points anywhere. I, I, on the contrary, I think people, uh, understand the role of opposition, but they also, want a constructive opposition and on the part of someone who beats who wants to be prime minister, a sense that this prime minister would be a prime minister for all uh, that, that does matter uh, to how much you want to absolutely go vote to stop someone from becoming prime minister or whether you're willing to give it the pass because it's time for a change. Uh, and these episodes, do not cost votes uh, to Mr. Poiliev within his base, but I suspect that they they continue to build this impression that this is a government that will not be governing for all, that that it is excluding or willing to exclude a large section of society. The other point is. This is not recent. There seems to be a tendency on the part of Pierre Poiliev to be really, really good at saying terrible things about people when he doesn't have to meet them face to face. And I go back to the decision to pay money out of his leadership campaign to avoid having a debate with his leadership rivals last summer. Uh, It's easy. And And you must have noticed that when we do virtual panels like this one, It's easier to pick a fight than when we're all sitting around the table together, (laughs) where there is body language. Uh, and, And if you went back to, someone was into this and went back on 20 years of that issue, they would find that the biggest conflicts always happened online when we weren't in the same room. Because once you're in the same room, you tend to want to find common ground. You're all sitting around the same table. You're in the same place. I don't think Pierre Poilievre is very good at finding common ground in any setting, but he is avoiding those face-to-face meetings with people about which he says otherwise horrible things. That's a really Can interesting comparison. Can we just have a comparison.
2: moment just to reflect on just how, like if there was a Canadian championship for using body language to make a gentle point of disagreement, that one of the members of this panel would be the Canadian champion, the reigning Canadian champion. <laughs> I can just remember all of those kind of like mm, these movements. Yeah. And you knew, oh, this is going to go badly the next few minutes. It's not really going to be fun. <laughs> At least she could telegraph it so you could understand it was coming.
0: But I thought that was yeah, a, a online, really good you
1: comparison. You can always see them.
2: Yeah. Uh, but well, Chantel makes a really good point, Peter. I, I agree with you, Chantel. And I think it's a bit of a sign of the times. It's kind of the, the extension of the, the 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 fact that people on social media will say and can say a lot of more hostile things that they would not say uh, face-to-face with people. And it is it is a, it is to his disfavor that Pierre Poliev, um, I think... Kind of stretches the envelope in terms of how aggressive he is about his opponents. It is probably to Justin Trudeau's political disfavor now that he does not tend to go that far. Um, I don't want the world to balance itself out by Justin Trudeau becoming like Pierre Polyev in that sense. I would rather that it go the other way, and I'm not suggesting for a moment that um, Pierre Polyev is the only political actor who's ever done this, or that Justin Trudeau hasn't. Uh, uttered uh, some fairly hostile uh, arguments against his opponent either. It's a balanced thing. Well,
1: but, but when we came, we just my turn to put in an anecdote. Uh, when we came out of the <laughs> pandemic, Canadians were very polarized. Uh, those who were anti-vaccine, anti-measures were really... Um, cemented in their position. And and on the other side, there were also really, really strong views. And one of the first things I discovered uh, when I took my first real trip after the pandemic, which was in northern British Columbia, where the views were decisively mixed about uh, what we'd all gone through, the only lesson I learned from spending 10 days talking with people and having lunches and dinners and encounters is we need to talk to each other. We, it doesn't work to be in your silo, throwing rocks at the other person's silo. And we, one of the reasons we emerged so polarized from the pandemic is that we couldn't talk to each other. So a, a someone who wants to be prime minister needs to be able to talk to people who don't agree with him without shutting them out. Uh, making them sound ridicule, uh, treating them like they're nobodies, uh, because that is how you... We're not ever going to agree on everything. That's okay. But if you don't talk, uh, you will never get to understand the other's point of view. And frankly, if you want to counter someone's point of view, it helps to understand where they come from. It makes it easier to kind of turn their arguments around. But this notion that it's okay to just sit in a tower and throw brickbats on everyone that criticizes you, I think is a losing formula over time and very, very bad for the national conversation.
0: The way these things often go is that, uh, you know, and you've heard us say this before, you know, so-and-so is protecting their base. Uh, You know, at some point they'll pivot to go outside of their base. Um, And the question is, when does that pivot take place? Uh, when you watch Polyev, it's obviously more than just his base that he's protecting. There is a significant number of people who tend, at this moment in time, anyway, uh, to be believing in in the arguments he's putting forward. It's somewhere in the you know th- the low thirty uh, percent figure. Um, but this, you know, the way these things tend to unfold is when it starts to look like you know in an election campaign when it starts to look like one party may be winning, then you start to see the the pivot start to take place. Um, uh, one where clearly is uh, the, the, the organizers are clearly telling Paul, have, this is not the moment you've been you've seen some hints of pivot uh, in, in the last while, the last few months, but not a big, not a big pivot. Um, uh, so they're clearly saying, keep feeding, feeding that, the, the, the chunk you have, I try not to call it the base every time. Uh, we'll worry about a pivot later. May not be till the election campaign. Um, But we'll see. We'll see how it turns out. I think there's some great examples there. I know I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get that that segment of mail, part of our base, that that says, Chantel was so right there. She was so right. You guys, you know, you, you guys are saying what you're saying, but Chantel is right. So I guess you know the only solution for us, Bruce, is uh, was well, 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 kind of sitting here. I bring my
1: base to this, right? The, <laughs> yeah. Chantal Nation,
0: Chantal Nation, that's right.
1: But, yeah, right. We'll, uh, taking a leaf out of uh, Premier Ford's, uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, Ford, Ford Nation, Strategy. Leaf Nation, Habs Nation, Euler Nation. Um, <laughs> okay, so anyway, Bruce, what we have to do in the future is we just sit there and give a few noddies whenever Chantal is <laughs> talking. That'll be our.
2: Oh
1: yeah, right, guys.
2: But I don't think it's going to work like that, but I do want to endorse the idea that there is a Chantal nation. Yeah,
1: <laughs> very strange.
0: <laughs> there is. Okay, uh, final break time, and then we come back with um, with another topic. Here's that. Uh, here's that break. Mm-hmm. All right back for our uh, final segment on uh, good talk for this week. Chantel and Bruce are with us. Um, Stellantis is a name that uh, you know. We haven't talked. We haven't. I don't think we've talked about it once on the on this program uh, in the past. But it, uh, it it is a topic of discussion these days um, because it involves billions of dollars and you know thousands, if not tens of thousands, of jobs. And Stellantis. Uh, is a company that's building a huge battery plant in, um, in southwestern Ontario near Windsor. And they seem to have uh, the government, two governments really, Ottawa and uh, Queen's Park, Toronto, um, over the barrel on this one because those two governments have just supported the new Volkswagen plant in St. Thomas, Ontario, also in southwestern Ontario, uh, to the tune of billions of dollars for the, for the good of thousands of jobs and Stellantis, which is also in the battery building business, um, is saying we got to have the same kind of deal and we don't right now. So if you don't give us the same kind of deal, we're out of here, we're moving South. We're going to leave the plant. We're starting to build and we're going, we're going to go to the U S where they'll, uh, well, they'll give us these uh, subsidies. So, what's going to happen here how is this um, do we assume that they they are playing a willing a winning hand here and that some kind of a deal has to be worked out between Ottawa and Queens Park um Bruce
2: well I I don't know the details of this uh, so I'm only consuming it as uh, as you know a consumer of the news stories about it to be honest and trying to interpret it from the standpoint of the things that I've learned over the years where I've worked with Uh, different organizations uh, that have issues like this that come up in their businesses from time to time and people in government who try to figure out how to to kind of blend those different pressures. Um, So with that large amount of salt, what seems to me to be happening is all pretty normal, that a a company is thinking that these governments want this kind of investment to happen pretty badly, uh, badly enough that maybe there's more money that could be found um, to offset some of their costs, to improve the the rate of return that they would get on their investment. And so they're asking for it. They're asking for it publicly. And they're asking for it publicly in a way that applies political pressure. Probably that only happens when asking for it quietly hasn't turned out uh, to work. Um, Normally, that's not the first stop, the public threat to leave. It's well into the process. On the federal government's side, um, I'm kind of encouraged that the federal government is, in this instance, because they haven't always uh, taken a firmer line with the Ford government, saying, you've got a pretty big interest in this. Um, we're going to put the ball over on your side of the net to solve it. And the Ford government is doing what you would expect it to do, which is to say, well, we've already uh, we already come to the table. We've done our part. The feds have to do more. So we are where we are. If I had to bet, um, it will still happen uh, because it seems like the governments and the companies probably originally all wanted it to happen. Um, and I don't really have a sense that the Delta is that insurmountable. So it's it's probably a negotiation behind the scenes that will solve it if something does it. But it's I, I suppose it's also possible that the investment does go away. I, I just don't think that's likely at this point based on anything I've consumed. Chantal?
1: Well, first, I guess what you are seeing now uh, in in vivid colors is the impact of uh, Joe Biden's massive uh, green uh, subsidies. Uh, That is what it means, that uh, if you want to keep what you have in Ontario or to bring something to Canada, you're going to have to compete against mega dollars that uh, no government has in this country and the best you can hope for is to kind of seed uh some kind of a green uh, economy and a transition to it and hope that it blooms over the years uh, but this this is a real example of what that means a deal that was struck before the announcement of those massive subsidies is unraveling because of this announcement. Uh, it's not just us. The same company is threatening uh, the UK uh, to up the ante or else see it go It has succeeded in driving a wedge between the two main political players in the saga, Premier Ford and Justin Trudeau. And that's never really good when you go to a union negotiation and two union leaders are fighting in public over what they want from management and who's going to concede what. You kind of think your side is probably so busy scoring points off each other that maybe they're not going to get you the best deal. So that uh, is not good news. What we learned from the episode so far is that the federal government is increasingly under pressure to demonstrate that it's in the industrial strategy is not a made for Ontario strategy. That there are other regions of the country and that if the I'm not going to say the biggest share goes to Ontario because Ontario is the biggest province. So it does get a larger share in those circumstances. And I'm not saying a strategy should mean every province gets exactly the same amount versus its population. But there has been a sense that all these announcements have been in Ontario and that the Ontario government has benefited uh, immensely from this strategy and its good relationship with some of the uh Trudeau ministers, and there is a, Hey moment, wait a minute. uh, Let's uh, remember that there are other regions watching this saying what goes on here uh, and uh, are we only developing or transitioning Ontario's economy with federal dollars to, to, to the, the, the green uh, economy. So I'm like Bruce, I suspect there will probably be a resolution. Because if there is not, then you will have lost one plant over giving billions of dollars to another, i.e. Volkswagen. Uh, and that, I think, in any government's book, fiscal or political, is called a loose-loose.
0: Okay, well, seeing as you are both in the, in the mode of kind of looking forward and uh, not predicting, but, uh, you know, suggesting where you th- think the outcome may be uh let me let me throw this one at you not on that subject but on the one we just talked about before this time next week what are we going to be discussing what's the headline going to be on the uh the special rapporteur's case what do you think uh, what would you assume at this moment Will be the I'm headline.
1: assuming that there won't be a recommendation that says, let's just continue to do business as usual. Everything is fine. And all this is noise uh, with no substance. I don't think that's happening. I think some kind of process is going to be called for. I'm not sold on the public inquiry thing. Having seen, for instance, this week, MP Michael Chong go to a parliamentary commission to talk about the threats he'd been exposed to. And revealed that he met ceases three times over threats uh that he felt were coming from China, and then, when asked what the nature of those threats were uh having seen him decline to give any information about those threats, I'm not criticizing Michael Chong I'm saying this is the way a public inquiry stands to go every time you think you're going to get some hard facts so that you can assess for yourself how serious something is it will either go in camera or the person will say, I'm sorry, I can't answer. Uh, so I'm hoping that uh, whatever process it is, it it in the end gives us uh, an outcome uh, that, you know, judicial review, whatever that sheds light as opposed to shows us that the magic marker has managed to take out all the good bits uh, and we are no further ahead. But, I'm not in David Johnston's mind, so obviously uh, that is just, you know, supposition on my part. (laughs) Nothing that I know uh, from leaks or anything like that.
0: He's not a declared member of Chantel Nation.
1: (laughs) I did get the Order of Canada on his watch, although he's not the one who decides uh, necessarily these things. Uh, But uh, the one thing I wanted to add I do think that whatever we do going forward, a section of it should be devoted to what is happening at our at CSIS and how does our security apparatus function. And I say that with some trepidation because when we looked into the armed forces or the RCMP, we did not like what we found.
0: We didn't. Um, Bruce, you have uh, a minute or two. To give your side on this, what's your what's yeah, your? Yeah, I'd thinking? be
1: surprised
2: at this point if uh, if David Johnson recommends a public inquiry. I don't tend to think that there's been anything that's happened in the intervening weeks that makes me more convinced that a public inquiry would be a really urgent and useful thing. If anything, um, I feel like the whole question of the Trudeau Foundation has started to look more and more like a one of those idiosyncratic things that happen, it becomes a political sideshow, but isn't really that material to the question of Chinese interference thing too is um, I absolutely believe that the government will need to, in the going forward sense, do more to prevent interference, manage the relationship with CSIS differently than it has been doing and provide some greater degree of transparency and, Uh, information to Canadians about the involvement of foreign uh, interests in our in our democracy, what that needs to look like, what the process is to get from here to there. I'm looking forward to uh, David Johnson coming up with some thoughtful ideas in that space. If I'm right about where he nets out, I'm sure Pierre Polyev will say this is all a scam. He was a friend of uh, the Trudeau family, so he was never going to uh, look at a public inquiry and we should all be outraged about that. But if he holds true to form, uh, he'll be mining that for rage for a limited time only. Uh, Because I think that the other thing he will have observed is that I don't think people are as freaked out about this issue as they were uh, four or five weeks ago. Um, I don't... And I think he is loath to pursue issues that where he thinks the level of public ire that he can, um, that he can generate uh, is very, if he thinks the public ire isn't there, he walks away from issues pretty quickly. And this might be one of those um, that he does uh, that with as well.
0: Well, All I'll say about this whole uh, past few months is if there's one unfortunate part about it, no matter what you believe in terms of the the management or mismanagement of how this was handled by CSIS, by the government, by the prime minister, whatever. uh, The unfortunate thing, at least for me, uh, has been that David Johnston's name has been uh, kind of dragged through the mud. Uh, This is a guy who has spent his life. Uh, in public service to the country in, in a lot of different fashions, in education and, uh, you know, in in overseeing a number of different uh, parts of uh, of the country's life. And it's unfortunate that uh, that's happened to him. Hopefully that will that will end soon. Okay, I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, thank you, Chantel. Thank you, Bruce. Uh, we'll see you all again Wait, next week. Wait, aren't
2: you going to predict whether there's going to be a public inquiry or not?
0: He uh, always cops out. I see I side with Chantel Nation. I'm uh, I'm I'm on all, all in on that side. That's that's what's going to happen and we'll we'll determine that next week. Whatever
1: it was that I said Yeah,
0: whatever it was you said Chantel Nation. Yeah, that's, that's it. Go Bruce go. Nation too. All right. All right. Well, take care. Have a great uh, have a great weekend. Uh, Monday's a holiday, uh, so we'll be repeating the More Butts conversation number no. eight on uh, Monday. It's a great conversation. Hope you get a chance to listen to it. Thanks for listening. I'm Peter Mansbridge. Uh, talk to you again next week.